Hey, there we go. Happy Wednesday to you, Lima Land. Cookie and the Monster here on Lima Sports Radio, 93 on the fan. John Cook and Garrett Seawright with you on this. Is it is it totally uncool to say hump day? Is that is that just completely out now? Like that's the that was a part of the vernacular for a half hot minute and then the Campbell did the commercial and we had to do away with it? I'm I am in no way, shape, or form any authority on what's cool and what's not. I can't tell you. I took uh, a shot. <laughs> Took a shot. We'll let the folks let us You're know. younger than me. You got to be cooler than me. Oh, no. anyway, <laughs> we are miss there. <laughs> we are midweek Wednesday. We appreciate you joining us. Whether you've got us on the radio at 93onthefan.com or on the free 93 on the fan app, you making time for us is something we appreciate. Big show today. We're going to take a look at the high school hoop scoreboard from last night in just a second. We got Twitter poll questions today. We're going to be visiting with a couple of junior high basketball coaches. There is a West versus South junior high basketball matchup this afternoon in about an hour that's going to decide the track junior high or middle school, however they term that, championship. And we're looking forward to a visit with Warren Pugsley, a longtime Lima senior and Lima City Schools coach and uh, involved in this matchup, South versus West. So we will chat with Warren. We've got our Blue Jackets Blast visit weekly with Bob McElligot, the radio voice of the Blue Jackets. Obviously, we're going to have to do our Who Daily segment brought to you by Lee Kinsel, GM Sales and Service over in Van Wert. So we will have a little Bengals sound for you in that one. And, of course, Football 515. So a busy, busy show. You had a game last night. Yeah. We were talking about it a little bit before we went on air. I listened to a sizable chunk of the first half of that game and would not have guessed that I would find out earlier today that the Lima Central Catholic Thunderbirds coasted to a rather easy victory over the Delphi Jefferson Wildcats when it didn't kind of feel that way at halftime. That was 21-17 Jefferson at halftime. And LCC scores 45 points in the second half. And outscores Jefferson 45-16 in the second half to really, as you said, coast to a victory. Saw the score. <laughs> Would not have guessed that. No, more than a little surprised. Although I will say this now, a 45 to 16 turnaround to, to go from 21 17 down to 62 37 on the right side of a scoreboard is, is nothing if not an aberration. But it, it maybe is a really strong way to illustrate the point that I think I've made on here before. I had the good fortune of, of being the analyst for Lima Central Catholic basketball for three seasons and called 20 seven games a year for those three seasons. I would say that I am relatively familiar with the way that, that Coach Kill operates and, and where you know strengths are of his as a coach. Also had the less than good fortune of going head-to-head with him twice when he had the best high school team I've ever seen in my life. And I didn't. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, he... He is, say what you will, he's a very emotional guy. He coaches with a ton of passion and energy. Some people like it, some people don't. Um, There are always going to be those people who say that he was fortunate enough to take over a job when there was so much talent coming through the program that it would have been impossible not to win. All of those things are, are statements that can be made and must be acknowledged as at least someone's point of view. However, from an analytical standpoint of observing someone as they operate their program, I'm here to say that when you go into the locker room at halftime and come out to start the third quarter, Frank Kill is going to have seen some things, observed observed some things, and made some decisions that put his team in a better place than they were at the half. Even when he's got a lead, I could say that that was true. And they are spectacular, and that's there's no other word for it in my eyes, of getting a bucket or a really, really good shot. 
the first and second possession of the second half. And when you're down by four, and that is a, a way to springboard yourself into the second half, I think Frank's a spectacular coach. I think one of his strengths as a coach is what he does after halftime. And last night that was on full display in that game uh, against the Jeff Cats at Monsignor Herr Gymnasium. There were a slew of games in our area last night, and I want to get to that scoreboard because in case you missed it, obviously we've got a lot of makeup games going on. We've got regular scheduled games that are being played. The Tuesday night schedule gets a little fuller late in the season for, for many of our schools, but league matchups that were required to be made up because of the weather were a big part of the slate that was last night, and Van Wert got a big win last night. Yeah. Now, it's, it's prior to turn or post-tournament draw, so it doesn't impact some of those things, and, and those... That's not neither here nor there. In in league play, matchups are big, and when you host uh, St. Mary's, especially of late, that's a challenging game. And Van Wert got a 64-59 win over the St. Mary's Rough Riders. A little bit of news out of St. Mary's today as well. Yeah, Austin Parks, the six foot ten junior center. Had Let's be honest, six foot eight and a half. That's better. Probably pretty. pretty it's probably pretty close. Uh, is going to announce where he's going to play college basketball on Sunday at noon. He initially said his final three was Ohio State, Indiana, and West Virginia by some accounts. Maybe some other schools are sneaking in there, like uh, Notre Dame. Do you have a lean? I don't know. (laughs) There are those from Ohio State that say, that Austin Parks is a big target for Ohio State. And there are those from IU who say that IU is the expected decision. Do with that information what you will. I would venture to say that the fact that Gabe Cups from Centerville High School has already signed, or committed, excuse me, committed to Indiana University, another standout junior from the state of Ohio, I think that could be a factor. Uh, these these guys are they all know each other anymore. They play the summer circuit and they they are familiar uh, with each other. I that would be a factor for me. I, I'm going to go in this direction. Okay, I, I, I've watched Austin Parks play a couple of times. I've seen him in the summer. Seen him in a regular season. He's a spectacular player. Yeah. But you mentioned the size. He's listed at six ten. I I don't believe he's that tall. And maybe that's. Not really a factor, but I'm here to tell you that at the college level, the difference between what it is to be a six seven and a half or a six eight or a six eight and a half player or a six ten to six eleven player is a sizable difference unless you are making your living out around the arc and you you know you have more perimeter skills and I'm not saying Austin Parks doesn't have those skills. I'm saying when we watch him, he is a dominant low post force. I don't know that you're going to be a dominant low post force at six eight and a half in the big ten, you know right now the way the game gets played. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the decision is and what the factors are in the decision. I know playing with spectacular point guards is really good for guys, and I think I think Gabe Cups is going to be a spectacular point guard at Indiana for the four years, and I'm assuming it's going to be a full four years for him. I think he's going to be an outstanding point guard there. So I'm going to lean toward Indiana and hope that I'm wrong. For 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 reference, Kevin Durant is listed at six foot ten, and. Everybody in the NBA will tell you that Kevin Durant is seven foot, at least seven foot tall. At least, <laughs> and he is listed at six foot ten. Mm-hmm. So, well, you saw the picture of Trace Jackson Davis standing next to yeah. Austin Parks, and and Trace Jackson Davis is listed at uh, six, at nine. six nine in Indiana's scorebook, and he is taller than Austin Parks. And I, believe me, we're not. I'm not. We're not 
talking down about the kid. I, he is a phenomenal yeah, it has player. Nothing to do with he the, can it's just, play. It's just, it's it, just when, when you say somebody's six ten, that that, well, that I, connotes some things. When I was a freshman in high school, I was probably five foot ten and a half, and I weighed probably two hundred and fifteen pounds. And in the program, I was six foot two forty, six foot one, and two hundred and thirty five pounds. <laughs> and that's it. You know, that's when there's fifty of us playing playing football you know st mary's you got 22 kids in the basketball program at the varsity and jv level you got time to <laughs> fudge some stuff and it would certainly behoove him to be listed at six foot ten yeah, it certainly i would. think he's going to be a fan i think he's a fantastic high school player i think he's going to be a great college basketball player is he six foot ten no probably not and that's okay but trace jackson davis listed at six nine and he's taller and i don't know where the six nine because trace jackson davis has probably four inches of He's mini, got a solid mini, four inches of quaff. Right, mini <laughs> mini afro. It's 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 puffed up a bit. So I don't know where that six nine lands, but nonetheless, his his hair is certainly taller than than Austin Parks. But <laughs> there are those who believe that IU is the joint. That's my lean. So we'll see. I don't again. I, I will lean that I way know. and hope that I'm wrong. So Van Wert knocks off St. Mary's last night, sixty-four to fifty-nine. Marion local Van, got a Van win. Van Wert, by the way, playing three WBL games this week. They got St. Mary's last night, Kenton on Friday, or Elida on Friday, Kenton on Saturday. So they went into the tournament draw where everybody else in WBL had played seven conference <laughs> games and they had played five. <laughs> you're, you're, and two, and one of them is against St. Mary's, where um, so I think St. Mary's ended up being the two, two seed. The did two. they? Yeah, I was going to say, and, and Van Wert's the five. They were the two, I believe. Yeah. So, so. Uh, could have mattered. If they played when they were originally supposed to, but they didn't. So Van Wert's got a little bit tougher road probably than they want, but got a nice win last Thanks, night. Mother Nature. Marion Local, a 59-51 winner over rival St. Henry. That game's always big. Doesn't matter what the records are. That's two really good coaches, two well-established programs, and a win for the Flyers, 59-51. In Blanchard Valley Conference action last night, Arlington, a one-point win over Van Buren, and Van Lu crushed Arcadia 72-45. The Arlington win was 48-47 over Van Buren. Shelby County League action saw Rushi get a 63-45 victory over the Anna Rockets. Three Rivers Athletic Conference last night, Toledo Whitmer huge over St. Francis DeSales 72-47, the final in that one. Uh, in our area, no, no one really talks much about Cary, a little outside our area. Cary High School has a really good basketball team. Upper Side of Valley is going to play them a little bit later in the year here. Maybe Saturday night this week. I mean, could be. But Kerry got a 63-54 win over Lipsick. Lipsick's been playing well of late. Mason Brant continues to score. I think he had 28 of the 54 last night, but Lipsick falls to Kerry. Uh, the upset of the night, Garrett saw the Miller City yeah. Wildcats knock off the Perry Commodore 62-60, to and I believe that one was at Perry. Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. You want to help me figure that one out? No. <laughs> no, no. no, I don't. Uh, Miller City was 9-9 nine nine coming into the night. They are one in five in the Putnam County League, um, and left Perry with a win. I Again, don't... something that would have would have impacted the tournament draw probably a little bit, uh, but didn't. And this was not a makeup game, so that's neither here nor there. But Miller City, a big win, sixty two sixty on the road at Perry, doesn't impact Perry's league standing. Does obviously does nothing to impact the tournament draw now that that's been completed. But a loss that Perry just has racked up about three. Losses this year that I would say are head scratchingly confusing to me. To lose to Ottaville early the way they did, and they've the, got to, four the, losses. The, the, the loss to Bath and the loss to Miller City, uh, all very very puzzling 
uh, at least to me. Lima Senior with a with a big non-league win, 82-68 over Trotwood Madison last night. We touched on Lima Central Catholic, Delphi Jefferson, again, the T-Birds, a 62-37 winner in that one. Audubon Glandorf held Bryan High School to 19 points in a varsity basketball game and got a 65-19. to When I didn't happen to see a box score on that one, how many more than 19 did Colin I, White score? I think he only scored 15. Really? I think Colin White had 15 points last night, which... Well, you can spread it around a little bit when you've got it. What was the forty-two to eight? Was the halftime score? Yeah, forty-two eight. Um, is and and I, you mentioned earlier, coaching with passion and people love or hate um, the way Frank Kill coaches. Um, I love watching Kevin Holmeyer coach, <laughs> coach basketball. <laughs> nothing better helping was, his son. Was, nothing better. I was gonna say he's coaching for Brian, right? Yes. I yes. imagine he did not enjoy last night. Probably not. I imagine the kids at Brian probably didn't enjoy last night. I've but, been on the I've been on the uh, wrong side of a few of those. No one enjoys yeah. them. Colin he, White had 15 points. Hunter Steckschulte had 13 points. Big win for OG 65-19 uh, in that one. They were at home against Brian, and McComb fell last night to Elmwood High School 71 to 64. Big win. I say big because this late in the year, when you saw the struggles they were having early, every win they get is big. But the Bath Wildcats, an overtime yeah. win at the Vatican, 60 to 58. Bath knocks off Delphi St. John's. Huge win. Uh, for the Bath Wildcats, are they up to six wins now? Um, I don't know if they're at five or six. I think they're at six. Bath, uh, it might be at seven. Really? Bath is seven and thirteen. Seven and thirteen. No one's going to say seven and thirteen is something to really pat yourself on the back about and get excited about. When I saw that Bath team well, at tip off, when your wins are over LCC, Delta St. John's, Perry, Perry, take those wins. It, they're not, they're not bad. Wins. Versailles had to go to overtime last night to knock off Indian Lake. Maybe some signs that Versailles with the loss to New Bremen and then struggling with Indian Lake. Maybe not starting to peak as we head toward tournament time or maybe just needing to get to tournament time, but they get the 68-63 overtime win. And Bluffton, a huge win over Elida last night, 60-34. Pirates get back on the win track after a loss to Grove last week. So that's a look at the area high school scoreboard. We're going to come back after this Don Jiggy's Jeweler timeout. We're going to get to our poll questions. And we've got a visit with Warren Pugsley, South Middle School basketball coach. Big, big eighth grade game tonight to determine the track championship. We're going to chat with Warren. That and so much more on the other side of this Don Jiggy's Jeweler timeout. John Cook and Garrett C. right with you on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Welcome inside the Basement Doctor Studio, Cookie and the Monster. John Cook and Garrett Seawright with you here on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan, 419-227-9393, 888 espn are the numbers to use if you want to reach the show. we got Twitter poll questions today. Yes, sir. we got three of them up at 931 The Fan on Twitter. You can vote in until 545. The first question is, should the NFL do away with Roman numerals in the Super Bowl? 58% or... L-V-I-I-I percent say no. We should not do away with Roman numerals. There needs to be a why to that. They didn't use them for fi- Super Bowl 50. They didn't. Because, Everybody was pretty good with that. Right. Um, my, the, the one, and I think this is the dumbest reason, the one thing I've seen people say is, well, they taught us Roman numerals in school, didn't they? Right, but... Nope. <laughs> like, I've never been driving down... Um, I've never been driving down the road and thought, man, I wish that that highway sign didn't say 75. I wish it said L I I V. No, it's pretty. We've got numbers. That that the, the whole purpose of numbers existing is so we can we can read them pretty easily. So what what 
Well, they taught us to us in school, right? I learned in kindergarten how to use a rotary phone, too, in case I needed to call 911 at my grandma's house. That doesn't mean that I shouldn't use a cell phone. We should only have rotary phones. We've moved on. Oh, next you're going to want to tell us to get rid of cursive. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we should. That's a dumb way to write. Teach them how to sign their name. Move on. <laughs> Jeez. And really, there's probably... Like, when your kids go to school, are they even going to learn how to sign their name? Like, we're just going to like teach them how to scan their eyeball at the bank or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is troubling to me the number of kids who can't write their name in script. And I admit that saying that I, I was taught cursive. I was taught to write in script. And I only, I only ever use it to sign my name. Yeah. I have not done anything other than print uh, a word on a page in print since I was probably 19. Maybe a little bit younger than that. I remember trying to write in cursive in high school and thinking, what, what am I doing? No, we learned cursive in intermediate school. And by the time you got to junior high, like your English teacher would tell, like, if you write a three-page paper in cursive, I'll stab you in the kidney. <laughs> okay. Well, that pretty well has it settled. It's just, it's a dumb, it's a dumb way to write. I don't disagree. It's just stupid. And then people are like, well, back in my day. Okay. Well, it ain't your day anymore. Okay. I don't write, I don't write well, no matter how I'm writing. Right. If I'm doing it in a script format, no one's reading it. No one. (laughs) It's just dumb. But my dad, when when he would help me with stuff, when I was in late elementary, middle school, when he would, you know, work on assignments and things I struggled with, or we, I had to write a lot of papers in junior high, which I don't know. Never really understood what that was about, but he would would write responses to things to compare to what I had because he he loved to play the other side of things and he wrote in cursive all the time I couldn't read any of it none of it so it wasn't as helpful but and I and I literally print everything except well, my you name should. you should it's the way God intended I don't <laughs> okay well I'll take that then if it's the way God intended I feel much better it's the about way my it's position on be. things we got other ones yep it's the final minute of Super Bowl LVI it's tied which QB do you trust more to lead their team to a win. Fifty-eight percent say Joe Burrow. I think it's more more than quarterback. Like, is is that is that a is that a bias because of where we are? Is that a, I don't is know. that an honest evaluation so. of Matt Stafford? Because here's what I'll say, and I love Joe Burrow. Maybe I'm missing something. Do we have multiple examples of Joe Burrow leading his team on a big game-winning drive? Do we have like more than a example? I don't, I don't think so. Do we have any examples of Matt Stafford having done so? NFC divisional round, right? So, in, in terms of my evaluation of them, I would say they are probably equally as likely to do so. And because I think as individual talents, they may be equally as likely that I'm going to lean toward the guy that doesn't face the best pass rush in the NFL in the last minute <laughs> yeah, of the game. I was going to say, you know, uh, one, one guy's in his second <laughs> year and still at times is learning stuff and going, oh, okay. And the other guy um, is, is not in his second year. <laughs> he's in his first year with a new team. But other than that, he's been around the block a hot minute. I would, I would lean towards Matt Stafford that I would trust with the game on the line than... Joe Burrow, but I don't think, I mean, I don't feel super strongly about that. No, I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other, but I would say when I voted in the poll a few minutes ago, I voted for Matt Stafford, and I did so largely with the mindset of if I vote for Matt Stafford, then Joe Burrow's going to do it in the Super Bowl, and I'm going to, ha- and I want <laughs> that to happen. Talk about it on Monday. I, I, would, I would love to, to swallow that and say, yep, there was the reverse KOD right there. Yeah, I'm the right. guy. And because I, 
I really don't have a strong feeling one way or the other. If, if you ask me which guy I want for the next five years to lead my franchise, right. I want Joe Burrow. Right. There's no question about that. Last minute of this game, this Sunday, to decide the ball game? Mm, boy, I, I don't know. I don't, like I said, not strong feeling one way or the other, but I would, if I had a slight lean, it would be toward Matt Stafford. And our final question that you can vote on until 545 at 931 the fan is, and we'll talk more about this coming up, who is most likely to become the face of the NFL now that Tom Brady has retired? 59%. Say Patrick Mahomes with Joe Burrow a distant second. So that flies in the face of my feeling that the initial vote, the other vote on the other question was just a Joe Burrow bias. We don't see a Joe Burrow bias here, so I guess I feel differently about that than I did. I also would say Patrick Mahomes just because I think Patrick Mahomes has already become like one of the faces. Yeah. Like Brady may have been it, but Mahomes had jumped right up in that deal. And when you look at, at all of the endorsement stuff and things like that, I, I would say it's going to be Mahomes for a while unless somebody flat takes it away. Now, a Super Bowl win on Sunday would be a big jump in that direction Certainly would help. for one Joe Burrow, but it's going to take more than, than that to, to probably replace a yeah. guy that I think most people are going to sit here on Monday morning. Most people are going to say, well, next year when Mahomes is back in the Super Bowl, <laughs> we'll feel differently probably. about Mahomes. I, I think that's going to be the way most people would lean on that. So you've got until 545 to vote on those questions at 931thefan on Twitter, and we will review those again mid-show, and we will give you poll results uh, after the final, after they close at 545, just before we finish our final segment. We're not going to take another Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. When we come back, it'll be time for our visit with the folks over at the the track junior high basketball eighth grade championship. South versus West, people. I don't know who the futures of Lima Senior High School basketball are, but they're going to be in that gym, and we're going to be talking to one of the coaches, maybe both of them, but for sure, we're going to visit with Warren Pugsley after this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout on Lima Sports Radio. 93 on the fan. Welcome back inside the basement, Dr. Studio. John Cook and Garrett Seawright with you. Cookie and the Monster here on Lima Sports Radio, 93 on the fan, and it is February. We have talked at length already this week and will more this week about the upcoming high school basketball tournament season that's set to begin because of the completed tournament draws last weekend. But it's also the end of the season for the feeder programs in our area. And I was contacted uh, late last week, I guess, by our next guest who's joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. Let's welcome in longtime Lima City Schools basketball coach, Mr. Warren Pugsley, to join us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. Warren, how are you doing? Oh, great. John, how are you? I'm fabulous, man. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I I know that you've spent a a big chunk of your career uh, involved with the feeder program at uh, Lima Senior uh, or as a part of the Spartan program, and you had shared with me that there is a fairly big matchup between South and West today that's going to decide the track junior high championship. Before we start down the conversation about the actual game, for our listeners who may not know, including me, that have a real good grasp on exactly how the track junior high schedule is set up, how does it work with the distance that exists between those schools? How does the the junior high slate work for a track schedule? Well, uh, just freshmen and university. Go to Toledo, we go to we go to both schools. Um, we travel down here, kind of get. A little weird, you know. We have bad weather, but yeah, we we go up there and they come down here just like the high school. So, so when you go up and see the talent level that exists at the other schools in the track, whether it be Finley or the Toledo schools, by and large, year in and year out, how do how do the Lima Southwest those kids how do they measure up? Well, that's I think that's why we're always confident going into high because that's. Uh, we got the West has won the tournament. 
confident always. We him, you know, but we don't we don't ever see enough to say we might be in trouble when we get to high school. We we're we've always been uh, the better program. Even even if our teams lose to one of those teams, it's because we have two schools and we split them even. We kind of draft our players even. So we feel like we still have the most talent. Well, clearly with South and West squaring off today to determine the track championship, obviously at least this year, you can certainly feel very confident in that. Now, Warren, you you spent a little bit of time as the varsity girls coach at Spencerville High School. You uh, were involved with the men's program at OSU Lima, but but since 2003, your career has largely been as a part of the system uh, with Spartan basketball. When you talk about making the adjustment from coaching varsity girls to, to college-level athletes to coaching at the level that you're coaching now, how do you approach it differently maybe with the, with the younger players that you deal with? Well, uh, coaching the girls was much easier because they listened a lot more. I guess uh, <laughs> I'd say that. Coaching the men was a lot easier because I didn't really have to worry about kids getting in trouble and you know fights and getting suspended from school, stuff like that. So the off-the-court stuff, uh, with coaching middle school is a little bit more taxing, but on the court, the laughter that you can get from kids doing something that's absolutely hilarious. Um, I enjoy that, but I also enjoy watching a kid come in as one player and then by the end of his two years, seeing that they have developed uh, skill and confidence and, you know, looking forward to them being at the high school. Uh, that That's more rewarding, I think. So it's been great. Warren, what's it like when you're going head-to-head in a game that's got a championship riding on the line, but you're going head-to-head with a guy that's a part of the same feeder program you're a part of? So, so it's kind of wild. Marcus is standing here with me, as a matter of fact. Uh, so I asked Marcus to come in and, and coach, and he came in. Uh, he was seventh-grade coach at South. I was eighth-grade coach. We were doing everything together, working together. And it was weird because it was like the next year he was going over to – uh, West as the eighth grade coach, and we were coaching against each other, and he was getting the best of me, you know, consistently. Like I said last year, he's won the last four track titles, and so he's not from Lima though. So for him, I was kind of mad with Coach Q. He should have been the South coach, and I should have been the West coach because <laughs> I went to West. And so in my mind, it's like ingrained when I say go West, beat South. And then I think about it, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm South. I'm South now. So I, I can't even say that now. <laughs> but uh, it's been great. You know, anytime me and Marcus see each other, it's all love. But when, anytime we, we put our teams on the floor, from the time that that ball tips, I treat him like I don't know him. And he treats me like he don't know me. But then it's funny because when we play, like the other night when we were in the Final Four, he came into the locker room during my halftime and gave some input. I came into his locker room at halftime and gave input. Like we, we realized, like, no matter what, this is our program as a whole. We're both uh, competitors. Uh, I'll let him speak on it, too. Marcus Addy, the eighth-grade coach at West Middle School, who will be the opponent tonight for Warren Pugsley and his South squad. Uh, Marcus, if you're there, uh, talk a little bit, if you would, about the young men that you coach. I mean, these are going to be guys that Lima area has to get used to watching play in the next two, three, four years as they go through their high school. Who are the guys that stand out on your roster? Um, well, uh, just want to say, first off, thank you for having me. And, uh, some of the guys that uh, to stand out, um, I've been fortunate enough, honestly, to coach them since they've probably been in uh, first grade. Um, I've been coaching them for travel ball. So uh, some of them are Sean Foster Jr. Um, he's been our leading scorer. Uh, he shoots the skin off the ball. And then uh, my son is obviously uh, he's pretty good. Amari Addy, 
a point guard for us and pretty much an all-around player. I mean, uh, Stacey Dixon Jr. as well. Those are probably the three main guys uh, that we're expecting to lean on tonight. Well, you've got a, a talented young group. You've had a, a run of success. What What's your matchup with South like? When, I mean, you guys, these kids all know each other. Is it is it harder for these kids to get up for a game like this, or, or is it just natural that they're going to compete with their friends? It's a little bit of both because, uh, you know, obviously um, I think anytime you compete against your friends, um, it's a natural bragging rights that you want to have over them because you don't never know when you're going to get a chance to compete against them again. Obviously, you know, for us, they're all going to the same program next year, so um, – you know, it won't be as many competitive situations outside of practice. So this might be bragging rights for quite some time for these kids. So, you know, they, they get pretty excited about it. Um, I think as a coach, you know, you're trying to curb the excitement with just, you know, the nerves. And, uh, you know, for the most part, I think both teams will definitely perform. They'll, they'll be a, a good matchup tonight. Well, Pugs and Q are family. Like, do you feel bad if you hand him a loss and make him go face Coach Q? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. I look I look at all these guys uh, like, you know, it's a brotherhood in this coaching game. So, like, we steal from each other as far as the things that we learn from each other. And, uh, you know, we pick each other's brains all the time. So, you know, it's, it's competitiveness, but, you know, it's still love. Warren, if you're still there, I got a question for you too, my friend. I we, we heard about the players that that West kind of leans on as far as the guys that are are their, their leaders, and and Sean Foster Jr. is not a name that'll be unfamiliar to people in the Lima area. So when you match up with those three guys, who are the guys you're leaning on? Well, first, uh, Quincy's son, my nephew Noah Simpson. Uh, that's my my primary go-to guy. But I got two big guys: uh, I hear Spalding and Deshad. Greer, and I also have a a guy that can give you a lot, you know, offensively and defensively, um, Janias Hall. So between those four, uh, that's who I normally lean on. Uh, Troy Pelletier and Kamarion Stapleton are two, uh, you know, those guys that are are they just they just add something every game, something different. You know, Troy brings that energy. Kamarion brings uh, that that IQ. Uh, so it's, we kind of have uh, a game plan, you know, but. All that's out the window once they tip the ball because these kids have never played on the line of the senior floor, and there's going to be a bunch of people here. And so I think I'm just trying to get my kids not to be nervous. Like, don't be nervous. <laughs> don't be worrying about the audience. You know, just play the game. It's the same floor, same 10-feet basket. Well, I'll tell you what, it, it, it's, a, it's a blast what we get to watch from our high school athletes, but very few people actually have a real feeling for what it, what it is to have a program and try to build a program that's based on a feeder system that gets quality players, that get quality coaching, and you guys are a part of a program that's obviously got quality players. You guys are invested in it, given quality coaching. I wish you both the best of luck. I really... Warren, you got to get one sooner or later, right? I mean, as you said, he's, beat, <laughs> he's won the league four in a row, so... John, John, I, I'm not doing this for too much longer. Like, I got to get it tonight. <laughs> yeah, there's no sense in talking about next year. Best of luck to both of you guys. We appreciate you joining us, and it's an exciting time for you guys. It's a really good thing for Lima Senior Basketball, for sure, to have this kind of talent competing for uh, a championship in that league. And, and for you guys, the, the whole league situation and how it plays itself out is is something you don't have to worry about because you got guys that live in the same town that, that, that grow up together, spend time together, and are friends going head-to-head for a championship tonight. So we wish you both the best of luck, and thanks so much for being on with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. Yes, sir. Warren Pugsley, <coughs> excuse me, Warren Pugsley of South Middle School and Coach Addy of West Middle School going head-to-head tonight for the track championship. Look, 
Marcus Addy's been coaching, I think, for the last eight years. Warren's been in the program at essentially a couple of years that we wasn't there since 2003. I'm telling you, I don't care what size school you coach at or teach at, Garrett, if you can get consistency in your coaching staff and have guys that stay 8, 9, 10, 12 years, you can go from the small schools in our area to the larger schools. The, the teams and the, the schools that have that kind of consistency in their feeder program very often have that kind of uh, a chance to have the kind of success that we're seeing our programs have. And again, exciting news for the or exciting time for those little guys, those younger guys, and for the coaches as well. And it obviously bodes well for Quincy and his future at Lima Senior yeah. to have that kind of talent where you're going through a league like the track and your two schools are competing for a championship. We don't do a lot with our, our younger level athletes. So when Warren reached out last week, I was kind of glad to try to put something together and glad that he and uh, his, his cohort could join us and spend time with us. So we're going to take another Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout when we come back. After this, uh, we're going to review a little bit more of the tournament layout uh, in the time that's ahead. We've talked about uh, the beginning, the Tuesday games, the 22nd. We'll review what's ahead for Tuesday, the, the potential Friday matchups in sectional finals of that week in, in February, the 22nd, 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Review a little bit more about the high school uh, tournament play that is going to be starting, actually, uh, down in the Southwest District on, on Friday the 18th, but for our area Tuesday the 22nd. We'll have that, and then we're going to visit with Bob Miguelli, get the radio voice of the Blue Jackets as well. Stick around for all those and more after this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Back inside the Basement Doctor Studio, John Cook and Garrett C. right with you. Cookie and the Monster here on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. And we kind of see it as our duty to make sure that you're informed uh, of all the options that you have. The high school tournament is maybe the most overwhelming. It's a great time of the year, the high school basketball tournament. I am absolutely passionate about it. Can't wait for it to start. But it's like the NCAA tournament in this regard. You can't possibly watch it all. You're going to miss something good, and you're going to be disappointed. So I don't know what your plans are, what your thoughts are, the games that you want to make sure you see. Uh, I can tell you that starting February 22nd, you're going to have lots of options, and you can catch plenty of them on radio. But let's face it, we can do a maximum of about two a night on our airwaves yeah. and about two a night on Fun 107. Well, we got we got seven games, I think, sectional week. And seven games and, sectional week. In four days. Yep. Seven, over the course of four days. So. Seven games sectional week. So on the 22nd of February, if you're looking to, to catch a game, the Division Two sectional that feeds into the ONU district, that's Paulding High School, Napoleon versus Elida, is the 5:30 game, and Shawnee versus Bryan is the 7:30 game. Again, that's at Paulding High School. Uh, that one will be right here on Lima Sports Radio 93 on the Fan. Garrett C. Wright and Rick Sherrick will bring you that action. The Division Three Lima Senior District that gets fed into by the Elida Sectional and the Miller City Sectional. The Elida Sectional is Riverdale versus Coldwater, seven o'clock on the 22nd. The winner of that contest will face Ottawa Glandorf on Friday. February 25th. The Miller City sectional sees Bath take on Paulding. That's, again, Miller City High School Bath against Paulding. That's a 5.30 start. The winner will take on the third-seeded Bluffton Pirates on Friday. And Fairview and Tenora will face off with the winner (laughs) getting the reward of playing the second-seeded Wayne Trace Raiders also on Friday, February 25th, again at Miller City High School. Your division four... And Wayne Trace, by the way, like fringe Lima land. Love the Raiders. Very good. An outstanding <laughs> high school basketball team. They are. Team. Things are going well for Jim Linder's squad. And nothing against Fairview and Tenora, but I really would like to call a Wayne Trace game. <laughs> so, you, you will. So I would like you, to you have will that the opportunity. You will in the district. That is always fun at the district. 
Uh, your other uh, Division Four districts, Elida District, has the Van Wert sectional and the Bluffton University sectional feeding into the Elida District at Van Wert High School on February 22nd. Patrick Henry will take on Fort Jennings, with the winner getting to face the first-seeded Crestview Knights on Friday the 25th. Also on the 22nd at Bluffton University, Kaleida and Corey Rawson are the 5:30 game. The winner there will take on Lipsick on Friday night, the 25th. And Delphi St. John's and Lincoln View square off at 7.30 from Bluffton University, with the winner getting to face the second-seeded Columbus Grove Bulldogs on Friday night. Your Wapakoneta district includes the Coldwater sectional and the St. Mary's High School sectional. On Tuesday the 22nd, St. Henry will take on Ada at 7 o'clock. The winner of that contest will get to face the number one-seeded New Bremen Cardinals on Friday the 25th. And at St. Mary's High School, Upper Saddle Valley and Waynesfield Goshen will go head-to-head with the winner getting to move on at St. Mary's High School and face the second-seeded Spencerville Bearcats on Friday, February 25th. That will be a 5.30 start. Your Division Four district in Defiance includes the Napoleon sectional and the Bryan sectional. Hilltop and Montpelier will face off to get the opportunity to take on the number one-seeded Antwerp Archers. Also very, very good. But Antwerp lost to Wayne Trace. Oh, my yes, God. Yes, they did. That is their loss, right? That is their loss. That is their Where loss. Where Wayne Trace's loss is a one-point loss on the road on a Saturday before Christmas to Van Wert. Which which isn't Division Four, <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Eden and Edgerton will play to take on Ayersville in the Bryan High School sectional. Continuing on the 22nd at Fostoria High School, St. Joe versus North Baltimore to get to Tiffin Calvert. And at the Tiffin Columbian High School sectional, Arlington and Van Lu will face off for the winner uh, to get to move on and play Old Fort on the 25th. The Pickwood District is a whole different animal in Division Four, so we're kind of <laughs> going to leave that one alone a little bit. But the, there, ha- there are teams that have to win on Friday the 18th or Saturday the 19th to get to games on February 22nd, and we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later in the week. So that's a, just a look at just the 22nd. You have those games to choose from, and then winners will move on and play, obviously, on the 25th. We'll give you all of the matchups as we progress through the week. Appreciate you joining us so far. We're going to get to the uh, next Dungeons Duel Timeout. When we come back, it'll be time to visit with Bob McGilligan, voice of the Blue Jackets, cooking the monster on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Hour number two, straight ahead here on Cookie and the Monster. It is hour number two. That means it's time to reset our Twitter poll questions. Yes, sir. We've got three questions at 93 on the fan on Twitter. You can vote in until 545. The first question is, should the NFL do away with Roman numerals in the Super Bowl? And LI percent say no. (laughs) We're also asking, it's the final minute of Super Bowl LVI. It's tied. Which QB do you trust more to lead their team to a win? 57% 57% say Joe Burrow. And we're also asking, who is most likely to become the face of the NFL now that Tom Brady has retired? 54% say Patrick Mahomes with Joe Burrow a distant second place. But gaining, I think. Slightly. Gaining slightly. That he is. Still got 43 minutes, roughly, to vote. <laughs> we'll see if on he can't that. have we'll a comeback. Really closes the gap here. It, it's also the top of hour number two and a Wednesday, so that means it's time for the Blue Jackets Blast. And we are going to go to the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline and bring in the radio voice of the Blue Jackets, one Bob McElligot, for his weekly visit here on Cooking the Monster. Bob, how are we doing on this Wednesday? Well, I don't know. You tell me. What are, what are the numbers this week? Well, here's what I got for I think you. You got, better, you got better numbers for me this week, don't you? Here, yeah, here's what we've got for you. I've waited all week because I want to open with a big win in the nation's <laughs> capital coming out of the All-Star break. The, the Jackets have won three out of four, and honest to God, all I really want to know is have you watched any of the Olympics? Uh, just 
based, well, I shouldn't say just, uh, a lot of the women's hockey, a lot of the U.S. women's hockey I've watched. Well, that, if, if you're going to watch, I think that's the squad to probably watch. i got to be honest. I yeah. I had figure skating on for about 45 seconds, for about 45 seconds, because I thought, it's the Olympics you need to watch. And that's that's it. I've, that's all I've seen. I've seen. I, I yeah, checked the, the scores. Yeah, the only figure skating I've seen is when, if it comes on after the hockey. There you and go. It, and, and it's still on. I, and, I, and I haven't watched. I did see some of that freestyle skiing right amongst the nuclear reactor. I've seen some yeah. of that. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I caught some of that, too. I happened to channel surf during a commercial break, and, and I saw a guy doing a, a skiing thing that made me think, he just looks like he's torturing himself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, is it, is it is that even a mountain, or did they just build a concrete they, slab yeah. and throw snow on it in the middle of a reactor? They just built a puppy right there and said, "Hey, here we go." That's unbelievable. Oh, and I did watch some, uh, and, and again, this came on after a hockey game the other morning. Um, some luge, which actually oh. they were doing a demonstration on how you you steer those sleds. So that that was actually interesting, but it was just on by accident. You talk about having stones, man. Like it takes this uh, extra level of cojones well, to you, get on a, a you say having stones yeah. i say having a death wish man I, I, it, it, it takes something well that they have the bigger stones to make up for the lack of brains <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, we all weigh the same somehow somewhere it's kind of odd how that works out most often kind of <laughs> odd indeed but it was a nice win i happened to watch a big chunk of the game with, with with washington the other night and was hoping like heck they would hold on to the lead and they managed to they played well well, actually, they didn't hold on to it. They they let it get away, and then they scored another one in the final minute. I, was, I guess uh, I should have said make it stand up. They they made the early yeah, lead yeah. eventually stand up. Well, it, it was impressive because, you know, they, they went into that game last night without Alexander Texier. He's on the injured reserve. and uh, Eric Robinson got hurt in the last game before the All-Star break. He's on the injured reserve. Emil Bemstrom got put on the COVID protocol list yesterday. Uh, so he's out of the lineup and, you know, Washington, they had just gotten Ovechkin back from the COVID protocols and they, you know, they pretty much had their team with the exception of TJ Oshie and the Blue Jackets were playing Trey Fix-Wolanski for his first ever NHL game. And Brendan Gauntz had come up from Cleveland was playing his first game as a Blue Jacket. So there was a big disparity in talent on paper, but, uh, you know, boys, as they say, you don't play the game on paper they played it on the ice and the Blue Jackets were the better team. And they are just at the beginning of a five-game road trip that I, I would imagine is going to be a very difficult run for them, five in a row on the road. Uh, when you look at, at the games that are ahead at Buffalo, at Montreal, at Calgary, and at Chicago before they get to come home uh, later on in February on the 20th, I think is, is the first time that they're going to be home in a stretch. What's your kind of prognosis for that five-game stretch? What that The hockey that they played against the Caps, is that repeatable, sustainable, and will it work? Uh, for the teams they've got ahead of them? Yeah, I mean, when you look at what's left on this trip, um, Buffalo's not very good. Montreal is the worst in the league. Uh, and Chicago hasn't been very good. So, you know, again, when you look at when you look at it, I'll be honest with you. I'll put it to you like this. By the time we get to Calgary, if this team isn't on a three-game winning streak, that is, uh, that's a fail because you should be able to beat Buffalo. Um, and, and again, this isn't college football. It's not like you're playing Youngstown State. I get it. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, you know, Buffalo hasn't been that good. They are going to get the backup goaltender. That's another thing. You know, when you're when you're not deemed to be a threat, you get the backup goaltender a lot. And then what you have to do is take advantage of that. And they did that last night in Washington. They chased the guy and they ended up getting the the game winning goal off their starter. But 
Um, they're going to get the backup in Buffalo. And, and again, they have struggled. They haven't been very good. Montreal has been so terrible that today they fired their coach, uh, which is going to make absolutely zero difference because they have no goaltending and they're, they have injuries and they, they just suck. You mean a team coached um, so, by Martin San Luis not going to make a difference? You know what? I'm I'm shocked. Like he just must want to see if he can, <laughs> if he has what it takes to be an NHL head coach because it is not a recipe for success with what they've got going on there. I'll tell you that right now. But you know what their problem was? They had to find somebody that can speak French. I was just going to say, I was like, <laughs> can a guy named Martin San Luis French. speak French? And I'm, I'm being serious, but it's ridiculous too. And what, what, what I'm and th- this is Blue Jackets blast. It's not got anything to do with Montreal and the Canadiens, but mm. a, a franchise with the historic pride that that one has to be where they are. I, I and I don't from everything I've read in the last little bit of time to just to prepare for today. I, I don't see a way out. I don't. I don't see where the where the corner gets turned. Well, no. I mean, it's listen. They're built around Carey Price as their goaltender, and he hasn't played all year. Uh, they went to the Stanley Cup final last year, but they were in the weakest division in baseball. Or baseball. I'm watching a baseball game. Sorry, that's why. Good for it's you. on my computer. <laughs> um, watching my son's game. Uh, but anyway, they, they're, they were in the weakest division in hockey, that Canadian division last year. Um, they got out of that. The only, you know, they did beat Vegas, which you give them credit for that. Uh, that should have never happened, but it did. And that's how they wound up in the Stanley Cup final. So they, they kind of caught lightning in a bottle, but then they lost Carey Price, and now they've lost a lot of other guys with injuries, and they're just not, I mean, again, last year was, like if, if you were the coach and the general manager, you wanted to sign a long-term extension after last year because you knew that it wasn't going to be sustainable once you got back into your regular division and, and you had to be back in a division that has uh, Tampa in it and a much-improved Florida Panthers team and all that stuff. So, um yeah, it's but but when Carey Price doesn't play, and then Jake Allen is the backup, and Jake Allen's been hurt too. So, you know, even the last time when the Blue Jackets played them uh, there last week, you know, they, they started off with the the third best goaltender that Montreal had, and they chased him, and they had the fourth best guy by the time the game was over. So they're they're in a they're in a pickle. There's no doubt about that. Blue Jackets radio play by play man Bob McGilligan joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline, and Bob John's got the numbers, and I'll just. Uh, Patrick Line sure has been pretty good lately. <laughs> yeah, what's he got? Three games with two goals apiece. Yeah, um, that's pretty good. Uh, he's shooting the puck. He's getting it on net. He's getting it to go in. Is really kind of the difference for him right now. But I, the two goals that he scored in Washington, like that, you know, it's Ovechkin that normally on the power play takes the one timer from the left wing circle and, and gets the goal. And Ovechkin wasn't able to do that, but Line did. And then the second one he had right off the faceoff was just sick and uh and he almost had a third one he he took a shot from an almost impossible angle on an empty net and he hit the inside of the post and so he almost had three but yeah he's been good and he's you know that's the way goal scorers are they get uh streaky at times and he's on a good streak right now hopefully that continues you're in a busy stretch game last night you got thursday and saturday ahead of you you're going to squeeze out some time while you're up north to watch the super bowl Oh, yeah, Sunday's a day off, baby. <laughs> Sunday is a day off in Calgary. So you're definitely going to so watch the Super Bowl. staying inside and watching the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, hey, not, o- not only am I going to watch it, but it's going to start two hours earlier yeah. than it does for you. Yeah. 
So you'll have some so time that's like, living the dream there. Yeah, you'll have some time. for disaster is what it is. <laughs> so you'll have some time to have to mind yourself and manage yourself in Calgary. And don't forget, the Canadian beer has a higher alcohol content than what you're going to have. I've got two extra hours in a higher alcohol content. I'll well, let you guys. John, you're the numbers guy. Put we, it together. We, we, <laughs> we will pray for you, Bob. We will, for sure. <laughs> Take care of yourself, man. We'll chat with you next week. All right, guys. Talk to you All next right. week. Thanks. Bob McGill, get join us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline for our Blue Jackets Blast. We're going to take another Don Jiggy's Jeweler timeout. We come back. It'll be time for Football at 515, where we're going to chat about the new face of the NFL. Is it that simple? It's just two guys? Join us for that after this Don Jiggy's Jeweler timeout on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Back inside the basement, Dr. Studio, where it's time to do a little football at 515. And Service Master at your service welcomes you to football at 515. Hard work, determination, and sportsmanship create opportunities to be your best. Like Bear Bryant said, it's not the will to win, but it's the will to prepare to win that makes a difference. And that's why at Service Master, they don't cut corners. You clean them. One of our poll questions up at 931thefan on Twitter. We're asking, who is most likely to become the face of the NFL now that Tom Brady has retired? And our options are Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson is a distant third. And I think there are some other options you could put in there. But I feel like Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow are the top two options. Are they the only options? I honestly have thought about this from a lot of different angles. And the, the first thought that I had, just gut-level response, was, yes, it's two guys. Because we are prisoners of the moment. Well, I, I, that was, I was going to say, you know, was Joe Burrow on this list of guys who could replace Tom Brady as the face of the NFL a, a month ago? No, he was not. And he probably wasn't three weeks ago, or maybe not two weeks ago. The last two weeks are what has put him here. And he had to go out and perform to earn that as, mm-hmm. as a possibility. But what also cannot be mistaken about Joe Burrow is part of being the face of the NFL. Well, first of all, you have to have a face people don't mind looking at. I mean, that's part of what made Tom Brady the face at, of the NFL the for same, so like, long. How long do I have to pretend like Joe Burrow didn't get veneers? Like, them, them teeth are not. That, that ain't what, what it looked like at LSU in 2019. Yeah, we don't have to pretend. Like, just, how long do I got to pretend that that's, that that's real? When I got past that gut-level response of it's, it's one of those two guys, because not only are they super talented and putting up monster numbers, that, that's one thing, they are also... By my way of, of, of thinking about it, very relatable. Very relatable as people. Like, Burrow's easy to root for. Mahomes is easy to root for because as great as they are, they kind of feel like, I'm just out here having a good time. I'm a cool guy. I'm a good dude. You'd like me, and I'm just going to go cut loose and play. And I think people buy into that and relate to that really easily. At I least that's, that's the way fair. I feel. Now, the other thought that I had was, is there anybody that we could put on the list that's a non-quarterback? Anybody that could go on the list that's a non-quarterback. I don't think so. Because I put a lot of thought into it. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I, I just don't. I, I, and I say that because the first guys that jump to mind are guys like Travis Kelsey. He, he, he's a face of the NFL. I don't know that he could be the face. But Gronk kind of became one of those yeah, guys. I, you know, I was gonna, I sat here for a second and was like, if Tom Brady had retired in 2015, could J.J. Watt have been the face of the NFL? Yeah, but he could never stay on the field. But it's, it's tough to do. Like, Although the guy, the guy with the Angels, the baseball player, that's never uh, on the field. My the tra- my tra- <laughs> I mean, he's kind of done it, and he's yeah. never on the field. 
Let's go uh, to line one here and see what Mark from Van Wert has to say. Mark, how are we doing on this Wednesday? I'm good, guys. Yeah, it's a it's a weird dynamic to me because obviously you guys know I'm a Browns fan and I'm I'm friends with tons of Browns fans. We're openly rooting for the Bengals. I mean, it's and it's really only because Joe Burrow is such a likable guy. Now, with that said, if he, Joe Burrow is likable as he is, if he was on the Steelers. I would hope Aaron Donald had him on his back so many times on Sunday that he was counting constellations because no way in hell I am rooting for the Steelers under any circumstance. But he's on the Bengals. They're the ultimate underdog. So it's like, yeah, I can get behind them. And I just never thought in my lifetime that I would say that. Mark, it could be stated that I am absolutely unbearable on my best day, but I'm here to tell you that if the Pittsburgh Steelers had somehow managed to transition from Ben Roethlisberger to Joe Burrow, I would be so I would be so unlikable. It would be obnoxious, and I would own it. <laughs> like I would I would I would I would walk in it every day. But I I don't have that luxury. The Steelers are never going to figure out their quarterback situation. I'm going to be watching Bubby Brister and Mark Malone again here soon. And, and so I'm going to be rooting for the Bengals as well. As a Steeler fan, I am rooting hard for the Bengals. And you're right. It's because of Joe Burrow. It's because the guy is likable. It's because he somehow seems to me to be a guy that is not only a really, really good football player and also a very just human person. He seems to be an absolutely fantastic teammate, and guys like that are easy to root for. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not, obviously I'm not a Buckeye fan, so I have no allegiance to that part of it whatsoever. But I do think at least with the Ohio crew, the Ohio State people, I think it kind of crosses both lines because they still see him as their brethren. Right or wrong, I, I don't care either that, way. That kind That's of bugs totally, Joe a little bit. You know, up to them. But, you know, it's he it just is. And I, I kind of thought that way about Patrick Mahomes for a number of years here, you know, last few. And then his brother jumped on the scene. And now it's like, oh, God, dude, your, <laughs> your brother makes you almost unlikable at this point. <laughs> That's that's hard to argue with, to be honest. That's yeah. that's kind of hard to argue with, really. I don't I hadn't really put much thought into that, but you're spot on about that. His brother does change the dynamic just a little bit. There's there's no question well, about wife, that. Wife. His wife, yeah. <laughs> the wife's always kind of getting the way a little bit somehow, but that, that's a whole other matter. Mark, we appreciate the call, buddy. Take care. You too, guys. Mark from Van Wert joining us. Uh, you know, I had thought about Aaron Donald. It's funny. I just got a text from, uh, from that, that came across while we were sitting there and said, how about Aaron Donald? And then it was, wait a minute, no. And then we would have used up one of our 15 to say, yeah. Mike Tomlin, can he be the face of the NFL? Can a coach be the face of the NFL? I don't think so. I would like Mike Tomlin to be the face of the NFL. <laughs> no. Because he's, he's just a dude. He's uh, a dude and he's a good listen. He's the, I don't know if he'll. I don't know if he will be as endearing as a good listen when they haven't found a quarterback and they are a train wreck of a football team that may run a little thin or wear a little thin on people pretty quick. But you know, Lamar Jackson is is one of our choices, and I'll say this: I from from a talent perspective and a guy that you really love to watch, Lamar Jackson doesn't have to take a back seat to very many people, no. if any. The problem with Lamar Jackson being the face of the NFL, and this is understandable to a degree, I'm not being critical of him when I'm saying this, I'm actually just making an observation, is he's had such a chip on his shoulder about the you're not really a quarterback thing. Yeah. That, he, that it's <laughs> tough to it's tough to become the face of a league when you when you are as upfront about that and kind of back in people's faces with it, even after as much time as he's been in the league, won an MVP and when nobody probably saw that coming, got his team to compete in a year where he had almost no help, essentially. I mean, Mark Andrews was out there somewhere, but he didn't, 
he didn't have a running game. His team was beat up, and they were pretty competitive for most of the year. I, I just don't know that he's he's done. You have to endear yourself to the public a little bit. There's got to be something that you do to endear yourself to the public. And and as much as I like that tweet that was out there with you know bleep it Mark <laughs> Mark, Mark Andrews, Andrews out there, there somewhere. somewhere. I, <laughs> as much as I love that tweet, uh, it's got to be more than that. There's got you got to get a little step beyond that. Although if you just took a glance at that and read it every day, you might start to oh really like gosh, Lamar. Right, start to oh. really like Lamar. I I'd love to see Aaron Donald. I think you you brought up JJ Watt. It, I, I want a non-quarterback on the list, and I just can't. I, I will realistically, say this. it's not an option. Depending on how this Super Bowl plays out, you might have a dual face of the league thing where you've got Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Potentially, if Jamar Chase goes and gets two thirty-six, you know, twelve catches and two thirty-six and a couple of tutties in the Super Bowl, that would help. He he's got the kind of personality and the kind of persona. That I don't know. It'd be tough to keep him off of off of a lot of commercials. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And don't. I mean, are we saying it? It's not unfair to say that being the face of the NFL means you've got to have a high level of marketability and be. Oh yeah. In some marketing campaigns. I mean, that's 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 what a part of this is. And we don't really have that with Burrow yet. I gotta imagine that's gonna blow up. Yeah. In gonna, the next calendar, he's gonna be a rich guy. Well, I think we're gonna see him a whole bunch. I'm kind of curious to see how they use it because he really doesn't have the Peyton Manning vibe. No, it's just. But he's. But he's. Yeah, there's something about him that I think can be really marketable and how you choose to play it. So, I don't know. I asked the question: Is it really just about two guys right now? It seems to be that it is. Not sure. Yeah, I think so. Not sure that I think you're you're reaching and stretching and trying hard if you're going to try to squeeze a third guy into that conversation. So we'll leave it at that. We'll say it's either Burrow or Mahomes. I think it's Mahomes. But yeah, Sunday, so Sunday could really, really change things because Patrick Mahomes was god-awful and didn't get his <laughs> team back to the Super Bowl. He was really bad in the second half of the AFC title and game. People hate his brother and wife. <laughs> I, don't know, I, I don't know if Joe Brother has a brother. Joe Burrow has a brother? I don't know. If Joe, I don't think Joe Burrow has a wife. But people don't hate him like they do Brittany Mahomes and Jackson Mahomes. So. <laughs> yeah, give him time, I guess. Yeah, Joe Burrow's unmarried. I, I, I guess that's that's... He's got a girlfriend that. Well, I would certainly think is, he's doing all right. <laughs> Surprising, I know. shocking news. I will to hear that. Let's do another Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. We come back. We'll get a little of our Who Daily and uh, Lee Kensel, GM Sales and Service, will present to you some Bengal sound that we are looking forward to sharing with you after this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout on Lima Sports Radio ninety three one The Fan. Back inside the Basement Doctor Studio, where Cooking the Monster is presented by Lewis Family McDonald's. You can apply at work at mcd.com. You can work today and get paid tomorrow at Lewis Family McDonald's. And it is time for our Who Daily segment, brought to you by Lee Kinsel GMC Sales and Service, Western Irvin Road in Van Wert. Here we got Bengal Sound today, and it's interesting because people are starting to talk about a little bit more than just Joe Burrow as a football player, about Joe Burrow as a football player, but as an impact on a franchise. Well, and yeah, when you look at, uh, first of all, I saw a tweet yesterday that was like, okay, that might be a bit far, where somebody had said, nobody has had a bigger economic impact on their city in pro sports than Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. I'm like, oh, okay, hold on. There's a, there's a guy named LeBron James that like you can literally see the data helped Cleveland economically. Just because 30,000 people went to a, a pep rally as the Bengals left for the airport doesn't mean I, – I'm not – I mean, I don't think that's a shot at Joe Burrow. Money and stretch imagination, but I'll pump the brakes on that. Yeah, let's, let's, not, let's not compare apples to oranges here. But when you look at 
the Bengals roster construction, there's a decent amount of players that they got through free agency that when you think of the the Bengals is not generally a free agent destination. I don't think that's unfair to think that's generally not one that jumps off the page to people. No, I think that's if we're going to talk apples to apples, it's Cleveland isn't really a destination right. for free agents and really wasn't necessarily even with LeBron. I mean, right. they did they did draft Kyrie Irving, so that doesn't count. Now, Ky, now Kevin Love was was willing to come, and we, well, we understand they, like, that. But they, historically speaking, Cincinnati and Cleveland would share the the common ground of it's not a place where other stars or potential stars or really good players in the league are saying that's a place that's on my list of destinations that I would be happy to play. And it's it's just crazy to me that one you built your roster somewhat that way through free agency that guys who have been impact players for you that probably other teams slept on came to Cincinnati. Well, it's ironic, and it had to be by design, but Garrett, essentially what they did was they said, offensively, we're going to draft players, and defensively, we're going to get free agents. Yeah, and it gone pretty well, gone pretty well for them. Hard to um, argue at this point. And, and, and with a guy like Joe Burrow, that leads to potentially more free agents coming, and, and Keyshawn Johnson said, Joe, Joe's going to attract some dudes to Cincinnati. As long as Cincinnati is winning, that's all guys want to do. They want to win. Joe Burrow effect is is, is is a cherry on top. There's no question about it. But if you are a winning team, you attract me. If you are a losing team, I'm not trying to go to Cincinnati. You couldn't get anybody the last several years to go to Cincinnati unless they was drafted there. You wasn't high-priced free agents wasn't going there unless they needed to hit pay dirt. But I think the combination of winning – in a young quarterback that has some ability to be great for a long time, you'll you'll get people saying to themselves, okay, this is a real team. I got a real opportunity to be in the playoffs every single year. So you will attract people because of that. I, Zach Taylor was six and twenty-six. It's six twenty-six <laughs> and one in his two first two seasons as the head coach of the Bengals. They they were not an attractive destination. So when um when they made the offseason moves that they did, I don't I don't know that anybody thought, you know, hey, Trey Hendrickson is going to help be on, going to lead the, the Bengals to be a, a Super Bowl contender in 2021. And here here we are. Well, and that's what makes this weekend so critical. And we talked about it a lot yesterday with Dave Lapham about the, the notion of playing with house money versus the reality of you're not guaranteed to get back here. So there needs to be some urgency to win this game. But the reality of this Sunday's game is, Everybody in the league's starting point, if they are a free agent of places they would like to go, if you if you exclude, and you can't totally, but if you exclude lifestyle factors and you exclude climate and all those things, if they're looking for a team to play for, I don't care who you are. The starting point is, are they taken care of at quarterback? Right. Do they have a guy at the quarterback position that can lead them to wins? And Joe Burrow is clearly a guy that everyone in the league is excited about. It's winning the Super Bowl early that really changed Tom Brady's trajectory. Right. Winning a Super Bowl early in his career. Now, I understand there was a 10-year gap between his third Super Bowl and his fourth Super Bowl, and that's almost unexplainable. But he got two really, really early. Burrow gets one in year two 
then I think Keyshawn's right. That's going to draw guys. Right now, guys are curious and they're interested and they're keeping an eye on Joe Burrow. If Joe Burrow loses the Super Bowl, I don't think it's necessarily that anybody writes him off, but he remains that guy that they're curious about, interested in, and they're watching. He wins the Super Bowl. I don't care whether it's right, wrong, or fair or unfair. Again, a fair is a place where they judge pigs. It's not a sport concept. It really is not. And Burrow wins this game on Sunday, and, and it does change what Cincinnati is as a free agent destination. It absolutely does. Well, and I, I think the, I don't think anybody thinks this, but when you look back, Colin Kaepernick played in the Super Bowl. Trent Dilfer played in the Super Bowl. Brad Johnson played in the Super Bowl. Rex freaking Grossman played in the Super Bowl. Rex like, is our quarterback. <laughs> and, and those guys, if you hadn't noticed, are not in the pantheons of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I don't think anybody is going to think, look back someday and be like, you believe Joe Burrow played in the Super Bowl? I don't think we're leaning that way. But Jimmy Garoppolo played in the Super Bowl. Jared Goff played in the Super Bowl. Some of those guys that looked like they were going to be dudes didn't turn out to be dudes but you win one that certainly opens up the door i think well and and it remains still a truth that can't be denied joe burrow is going to have to he's going to have to manage his approach to his contract because joe burrow is going to be in a place very very soon where what he can demand could cripple his team's ability yeah to put a team around him that makes what he's done possible. Part of them getting where they are has a lot to do with what happened within their division this year. Again, the Browns fell apart. The Ravens were an injured mess and the Steelers, well, okay. So a lot of that played into them being a division champion and only 10-7. and seven. That, That's not a great, great record, but they're a division champion. But they also could do the things for, with free agents defensively. They continue to draft because he's still relatively cheap. He's going to get over the moon expensive if he wants to. He can he can ask for whatever he wants. And a part of Tom Brady's sustained success was his ability or his willingness, I shouldn't even say ability, his willingness to make it so that the team could pay other guys and not destroy their salary structure because he could have and, and never really did demand what he was actually worth. Well, and that's the you, you look at so Patrick Mahomes is the leader in the clubhouse for, for you got a 450 million dollar contract he's gonna start paying the, uh, the, the, the yeah, he's gonna, he's pay, gonna the piper. pay the piper on that right one. i don't know when i think it's starting already but it's gonna happen but joe burrow gonna get half a half a billion dollars probably pretty easily oh hell yeah he is if, if s- that's what if that's what he chooses to ask for i i, I think joe burrow is gonna get 50 million dollars a year at some point i mean mahomes at 45 Joe's gonna. Joe's not coming in for less than fifty. He gonna he gonna do all right. Now it, it's our Who Daily segment brought to you by Lee Kinsel GM Sales and Service on West Irvine Road in Van Wert, and we're talking Bengals as they prepare for Super Bowl Fifty Six in a game you'll hear here on ninety three one The Fan. Now, now Carson Palmer is the is Carson Palmer the fourth best quarterback in Bengals history, third best quarterback in Bengals history. Ken uh, Anderson, he, Boomer, he, he, he's third right now. Well, is is Joe better than Carson? We we can have that discussion. Is Joe better than Carson? He hasn't accomplished a large enough volume of things yet. So Carson um, Palmer, so Ken Anderson, Boomer Sice, and Carson Palmer. Is Carson better to, than Boomer? To me, yes. Okay. I, to me, it's Ken Anderson, Boomer Sice, and Carson Palmer. Carson Palmer knows what it takes, I like so. Carson Palmer better than I like Boomer Sice, but that's a <laughs> that's a personality thing. That's not a football thing. A Carson Palmer. Um, 
would know what would make a quarterback great, and he had this to say about Joe Burrow. His offensive linemen feel it. His his other teammates on defense feel his poise. And and to be in year two and, and be on a team that he's just – every team he goes up against in the playoffs, they're just outmatched. They have, you know, from top to bottom, typically better rosters in, in Kansas City and here in L.A. against the Rams. And they just find a way to win. They, they've been extremely poised. They've been extremely um, – opportunistic and made plays and made interceptions on defense, got the ball back in Joe's hands um, and found ways to get the ball to their playmakers on offense. Um, they, they do have some great talent. They have some really good players, but they're playing against teams that, that are just stacked with pro bowlers and better rosters. And they just continuously find a way to, to find a little bit of magic at the end of games and, and put the game in their kicker's hands. And, um, and he hasn't missed yet. He's been money McPherson. And I think that's the part of this that's the most intriguing to me, is Joe Burrow is the story. He absolutely is. And it's hard to take away from that by pointing out things that people don't really want to hear, although they know they're true. The Cincinnati Bengals are where they are to some degree because the unheralded unit on the team, the defense, has delivered in some monstrously big spots and made game-changing plays to put them in a position to win. And they have a kicker that just refuses to miss a kick. Joe Burrow can't be given credit for that. But Joe Burrow's magnetism as a leader can definitely impact all other parts of the football team. And that's what I think makes all of this so interesting. Wouldn't it be ironic if the Bengals managed to win a Super Bowl because their defense makes a bunch of plays... Their kicker makes some kicks, and Burrow is less than spectacular. Right. And, and he doesn't turn a ball over. He's just pedestrian. Right. He, he manages the game well, doesn't necessarily make the plays that we're used to seeing him make, but does just enough. And, and as we've said, you know, Matthew Stafford can, can kind of he'll, he'll open really that door for help you. the opponent once in yeah. a while. If the defense makes those kind of plays, the kicker is what the kicker is, and Burrow wins his first Super Bowl, sort of like ben Big Ben won his yeah. first Super Bowl. Thanks, Bus. Thanks, defense. I'll just try to stay out of the way. And when when Peyton Buss, Manning's last Super Bowl, yeah, when Bus fumbles, I'll tackle the guy that's about to go the other way for a touchdown that keeps us from getting to the Super Bowl. I, you know, it didn't tarnish Big Ben's image at all. No, it, it really didn't. Now, Big Ben isn't really seen as the reason that they won that first Super Bowl, and he, and he wasn't really seen as the reason they won the second Super Bowl because there was so much focus on the interception return for a touchdown right before half. That James Harrison made right, but nobody, nobody when he retires says he won two Super Bowls, but he, wa- he wasn't the MVP in either of right. them. But but nobody nobody says that. Yeah, like, he's a no. two-time Super Bowl they champion. Are. The people that are pointing that out are looking to point it out for a reason, and yeah. it would be ironic to me to me if that's how Joe Burrow's first Super Bowl unfolds. Take the win and run with it. But I think we all believe that if they're going to win, it's going to be because he has a major major hand in leading them there. Yeah. and and what Carson Palmer talked about there is a big part of it. He takes a team that appears to be overmatched, and his presence and his leadership is a big factor in why they don't deliver as though they're overmatched. And that's uh, it's not generally somewhere that you find a second-year quarterback in this spot is, hey, he's not overmatched in a Super Bowl. Pretty pretty good spot to be in, I think. We still got four days to get to Sunday, and I don't know know that I'm going to make it. Like I'm I'm, I'm ready to go. I got to figure out a menu for Sunday. I don't even like thinking about it. 
I don't even like thinking about it. I don't, because then I'll, first of all, whatever the menu is, I will destroy it. And I know that I shouldn't. Yeah. And if the menu is limited, that's going to be better for me, but it's going to leave me in a bad mood. Right. And so, I don't know. I'm looking so forward to Sunday and it's not going to get here very fast. But when it does, <laughs> we're going to uh, have covered just about every angle we can on the Bengals. So. We'll have our Who Daily segment again tomorrow. And uh, that'll be uh, every day this week. We'll have a little conversation based on the Bengals and their appearance in the Super Bowl. And appreciate you making us a part of your day thus far. We're going to take our final Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. When we come back, it'll be time for our Twitter poll results and water cooler conversation. I think we got a good one today. Yeah. John Cook and Garrett Seawright with you. Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 on The Fan. Back inside the Basement Doctor Studio, a final time here on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 on The Fan. Cookie and the Monster with you. And we've got results now in our Twitter poll questions. We do. We had three questions. We asked, the NFL do away with Roman numerals in the Super Bowl? And it finished exactly 50-50. No, not exactly. 50-50. Not, oh, exactly LL. LL. So that was interesting. Yes. We also asked, it's the final minute of Super Bowl LVI. It's tied. Which QB do you trust more to lead their team to a win? 62% say Joe Burrow. And finally, who is most likely to become the face of the NFL now that Tom Brady has retired? 50% say Patrick Mahomes. So Joe Burrow turned it on there at the end, but it just fell up a little short. It's 50% Patrick Mahomes, 40% Joe Burrow. Which is about how I see it, too. And then, yeah. I guess I agree with our voters, which is not always a given. <laughs> I think <laughs> that's, that's fair. fair to say. That's fair. Buckeye basketball, big game tonight. Now, you say Buckeye basketball is playing Rutgers. Is that a big game? Yes, it is a big game. Rutgers has 13 wins. Rutgers has wins in the conference over Purdue on the road, over Iowa, and over Michigan State. Now, that's at home. Those are big wins. They boat raced Michigan State. Now, Michigan State followed it up with a home loss to Wisconsin. So maybe there's a problem in East Lansing that we don't know about. But the Ohio State is going to be asked to play a Rutgers basketball team that I think is under everyone's radar. And with Ron Harper, Paul Mulcahy, Ron and Caleb Harper McC- Jr. Yes, Ron Harper Jr., <laughs> I remember Ron Harper Sr. Do you? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Bulls, I'm glad you Bulls, do. Yep. I remember him at Miami. Played, I was going to say play Miami. I remember him at Miami, actually. But he and Paul Mulcahy and Caleb McConnell are three really good players. And any one of the three can get you a big night scoring. McConnell and Mulcahy don't average a ton of points. One gets five assists, the other gets about five rebounds. They're they're under double digits on the, on the year average scoring-wise. But Mulcahy's season high is 31 points. And McConnell's had had nights with with near double double type numbers. It's not going to be an easy game for Ohio State, and it makes me concerned and nervous. And I just I, I need something to improve my mood, if you will. So let's do a little water cooler conversation because you got a good one today. So, so Mark Sanchez was on Dan Patrick today, and Dan Patrick asked Mark Sanchez if he didn't go to USC, where would he go? And he said, you know, uh, Mac Brown was was tough to say no to. And then he had this story from when he visited Ohio State. But Jim Trestle, I remember, uh, we were in the horseshoe. They had the band. I had an Ohio State jersey. They put my highlight tape up on the Megatron or whatever. They audio dubbed Keith Jackson's voice over it, and it was supposed to be like the Rose Bowl, and then they were showing my high school highlights on this thing. And I was like, I'm a Buckeye. Done deal. (laughs) Done deal. I hear Keith Jackson, the young sophomore from Southern California, you know. And I was like, wow. And we're in Trestle's office, and I'm like, this is it. Like, I'm about to sign a paper, and I'm going to be a Buckeye. <laughs> and then he said, you know, it's, it's awesome. Uh, every year we play Michigan right around Thanksgiving. Ten years in a row. Great football weather. It's been snowing every game. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. 
I looked at my dad. I was like, what did he say? I was like, snow? We got to drive to Big Bear for snow. Like, what is this snow? <laughs> going to Mammoth. Yeah, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> so, so snow was a deal breaker for Mark Sanchez. Thanks, Tress. We had Mark Sanchez. Yep. Not that we did very badly in no. that time frame, but what they did was a little different. But uh, Tr- Tress mentioned okay. snow to a guy from Southern California. Maybe a recruiting error of some type. I don't know. Possibly. Good story, though. Good story. And uh, having Mark Sanchez that close, kind of interesting. We got to get out of here. Thanks for a great Wednesday. We will see you at 4 o'clock on Thursday for the next episode of Cooking the Monster, Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan.